0: Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Virginia Allen. And I'm Lauren Evans. And I'm Kristen Night So next week is a big week. We have both the Super Bowl on Sunday and Valentine's Day on Tuesday. So I got a little bit curious thinking about these two major events that happen every year and how much money they both bring in. So I did a little research, but I want to get y'all's guesses first. Do you think that the Super Bowl makes more money or Valentine's Day?
1: Mm. my guess is the super bowl valentine's day i mean people buy stuff but you don't buy that expensive of gifts on valentine's day hmm.
2: i disagree i think valentine's day just because there's been this reawakening of like Valentine's day <laughs> oh, you know those true. types of little spin-offs i think the super bowl probably does make a lot of like food sales and money which mm. you know in some in total, ad-, ad sales oh ad sales that's a good point yeah but
0: valentine's day too Right? Because there's ads for Valentine's Day. I know I've been getting endless emails. Please please buy this. You need chocolate. I'm like, no I don't. It's no, like, I don't. I'm okay. The ads I get are like buy this heart shaped pizza for Valentine's Day. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, hmm. maybe I will. Me, myself and I. Well, I my thought was oh for sure it's got to be the super bowl but actually it is valentine's day um at least according to forbes so forbes estimates that um this year and i think this is this is not just in america this is globally but that about um uh just under 24 billion 23.9 billion will be spent on valentine's day Mm. um and i think that's everything like i think that's buying everything from the cards to at restaurants to gifts to, you know, maybe exclusive vacations off whatever. Sandals. Sandals. (laughs) 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 That'll rack up quickly. Uh, So I was like, wow, that's, that's a lot of money. And in comparison, Forbes reports that the Super Bowl brings in, it kind of breaks it down in a lot of different categories. But as far as ad money there's about uh 485 million dollars that's spent on advertisements Um, at least that was the case in uh 2021 so that could obviously have increased quite a bit this year and then betting is a huge uh revenue source for the super bowl Mm. so the american gambling association estimates that 4.3 billion dollars were spent on the super bowl a couple years ago that's probably only going up um but so but. we should
1: find a way to do Valentine's Day betting. Like will that couple make it through?
0: <laughs> <laughs> like a reality TV show.
1: <laughs> you need not make it a parlay, like will the
0: Eagles win, plus this couple will break up. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, man, February. Like this expensive month. A lot of money's yeah. thrown around mm. in February when I would not have like I think we always think of like December or like I don't know, summer, like you're on vacations. But, wow, February rakes it in. I've noticed lately too that Hallmark cards you used to be able to buy them
2: for two or three dollars. They're like seven or eight They're now. So Biden inflation, <laughs> yes, yeah. So it, it makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah, it's a lot of money.
0: All right. Well, we have a full show today. Lauren, go ahead and let us know what we have queued up. Upon today's
1: problematic women, we discuss what China may have been looking for when it sent the spy balloon over America. And Tuesday night was Washington, D.C.'s version of the Super Bowl, the State of the Union address. We will break down a few of the big moments of the night and what we can expect from Biden in the coming years based on his speech. Plus, Virginia got to catch up with one of our favorite problematic women lawmakers this week. And we are sharing that conversation exclusively with you all here today. And as always, we'll be crowning our problematic woman
0: of the week. Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find the stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women, those whose views and opinions are often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left.
1: If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. It really does make a difference. All right, let's get to it.
2: The were on the sky last week after Pentagon officials announced they had detected a Chinese surveillance balloon flying over Montana. The balloon flew over much of the United States at an altitude of about 60,000 feet, passing by multiple U.S. military bases and nuclear arsenals. China's Ministry of Foreign Affairs denied that this was a spying aircraft and instead said that it was simply a civilian balloon used for weather research, emphasizing that the unmanned airship posed no real threat to America and entered U.S. airspace accidentally. Still, many Americans remained concerned. General Glenn Van Herc, commander of the United States Northern Command and North American Aerospace Defense Command, told reporters that the balloon was roughly 200 feet tall and carried a payload weighing a couple thousand pounds. A week after entering U.S. airspace, a U.S. military fighter jet shot the balloon down off the coast of South Carolina. <laughs> um there's a lot of speculation on this balloon, and I personally am very interested in it because I have been to the Wallops uh, Flight Facility, which is in Chincoteague, Virginia. Um, it's a NASA basically balloon factory where they create a bunch of these balloons and sounding rockets. So I'm very skeptical about what this balloon, how it entered U.S. airspace, air mm-hmm. but I'd love, like, what do you guys think?
1: <laughs> I mean, were you concerned when you saw it, that, that your your mom was just floating up there in the sky? <laughs> Oh, well, I meant your mama was so fast.
0: She was the size of a boy. Oh. That was so good. <laughs> a little, a little slow You're baby. so funny.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Lauren. You know, I was really fascinated as this story broke, and I, I'm i going to give credit to Megan Kelly here because, man, she's, she's a lot of good things to say on a lot of issues, but she had a really fascinating conversation on her show with Rob O'Neill, a former U.S. Navy SEAL, and they just talked about what really kind of went down and happened, and their thoughts on it. And the fact is, we disregard what China had to say. You know, they claim it's a weather balloon. Okay, obviously that's not the case. But one of the things that Rob O'Neill brought up was that China was obviously curious to see how long it would take for America to detect the balloon and what America's response would be. So China knew, I think, that. America was eventually going to find the balloon, we were going to be aware of the balloon, but they kind of wanted to see, okay, how long is it going to take you guys to figure out it's here? How are you going to spin this? They're testing the waters. China is testing the waters. They're pushing America.
1: Yeah, they're they're testing the waters, but I think what's even crazier Virginia is they so they floated this big balloon, this huge balloon literally from one side of the united states to the other mm-hmm. i mean think about if you had to drive that far how long that would take you And this balloon just kind of moseyed over and then when we shot it down they were upset that we shot it down <laughs> yeah like, <laughs> like what? Well, come on what's going on
2: guys like, like really the moment it entered u.s airspace it should have been shot down in my opinion and i i agree i don't really care what the chinese foreign ministry has to say about this balloon i mean even taiwan they had a meteorologist um expert he was he's actually taiwan's central weather bureau chief or something along the lines of that and he told the associated press that he has never seen or heard of a weather balloon that looks like this or has like completed a mission really like this and and Mm -hmm. i have to agree because while i was at nasa we um We had weather balloons and we launched them from Antarctica and southern points of South America, largely because you don't have any control over these balloons, really. The only thing that you can control is how high in the atmosphere it goes. And that largely contributes to where, you know, like you can follow the winds and let it direct these balloons to kind of where you want to go. But you really don't have that much control. So you can't tell me that these incredibly smart scientists in China didn't realize that that was going to happen if they launched it from wherever they did in China. Um, The other thing is what we're still kind of not entirely sure what it was carrying. And unfortunately, we waited a really long time to shoot this thing down. And it's likely at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean at this point. I'm not entirely sure. I think part of the reasoning behind that is you really have no idea. You got to give a, a few football fields worth of impact zone for large vehicles like that. And I mean, I saw that the payload itself was something along the size of a jetliner, hmm. so you're working with a lot of really heavy materials that could really devastate a town, a house, etc. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just I just don't trust it. And if it was really weather, I mean, we could have worked maybe together with them. Probably <laughs> not because they'd steal our intellectual property. But
0: yeah. Well, and now what we're seeing is that the the remains. That they were able to find at least of the balloon, they pulled up from the ocean. They're taking them um, to an, an FBI facility where they're going to be looked at. They're going to try and find out what exactly the contents of this balloon were, its purposes. Hopefully, some of that information, you know, will be made available to the public. But we obviously don't know. And it seems like, honestly, if if individuals in Montana hadn't have started seeing this balloon and saying, "Hey, why is there?" this weird balloon floating over our state. Their uh, their concerns, locals' concerns, were picked up by a local news outlet. They reported it. And really because of that local coverage, the story blew up and became this national story. And the Biden administration has sort of been like, oh, no, 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 like we were going to report this and all this and we were going to break it to the public. Uh, but I really wonder if this had not gotten the attention of people at a local level, would the Biden administration actually have made comments and and made this public and made the public aware of the fact that, yeah, no big deal. We let a Chinese balloon fly over America, gathering likely intel mm-hmm. for a week. And, to the fact that Biden, I think, pretty early said, let's shoot
1: this down. Mm-hmm. And his top military aides were like, no, we'll, we'll wait. We'll, and you're <laughs> like, no, he's the president. Yeah. I mean, like, I have a lot of concerns about our president, but... He's the one who should be making these decisions, not this deep state military complex just being like, oh, well, we'll
0: take what you say into consideration, but we're calling the shots. Yeah. No, I mean, that's not how the chain of command works. <laughs> and I think just goes to show that in the same way many Americans don't have a lot of confidence in Biden, that his own advisors mm-hmm. don't have confidence in him, which is very disturbing that essentially we have a president that's not calling the shots.
1: Well, the only thing I'll disagree with you a little bit is that they did the same thing under Trump.
0: Hmm.
1: They just, they're they're drunk on their own power, mm-hmm. and the systems are set up, and we see this in almost every government agency, that there's no oversight there, that these bureaucrats get entrenched in these high-profile positions, and they think that they can do whatever they want, they can exercise their power with, you know, reckless authority, and... As conservatives, we need to acknowledge this and shine a light on it, whether that's through oversight in Congress, uh, whether that's through efforts that Heritage is doing, like Project 2025, uh, with a lot of coalition allies, where we're actually trying to empower conservatives in the next uh, administration to go in and take these roles and, and kind of maybe push these people out or at least hold them accountable. And so, yeah, I mean... At the end of the day, we do need a strong military and we need commanders who are going to make tough decisions. But at the same time, we set up a chain of command for a reason. Yeah. And it's it's scary.
0: It, it is scary.
2: Yeah. And, and just one last point on that. There was a blatant disregard for protecting Americans. And they'll point and say whatever they want to say. But at the end of the day, a space balloon can still carry military equipment. And in mm-hmm. fact... On YouTube, the Chinese state-owned television aired footage of a high-altitude balloon dropping hypersonic weapons in 2018. You can't tell me that this oh, balloon didn't me. have that capability. <laughs> Frankly, it, it, it probably did. And the fact that it took the, a week for DOD and the Biden administration to get their act together, that's absolutely unacceptable. In America deserves much better.
0: Let's do our, our weekly reminder to delete TikTok, if you haven't, <laughs> <laughs> because TikTok, owned by Chinese company, gathering information, gathering your data, don't give China any more space in your life as they're trying to weasel their way more and more into America, gather data and information on Americans. That probably is just just the one cord. silver lining. I have seen a lot of people being mm. like, oh, I deleted
1: TikTok after this.
0: Yeah, absolutely. As they should. Good job, guys. If you did, well done. Well done. All right. Well, um, up next, we are going to talk a little bit about the State of the Union address Tuesday night. But first, I want to tell you all about a super fun way that you can stay connected with Problematic Women throughout the week. Problematic Women has an Instagram account, if you haven't heard. So you can catch highlights of the show, reels, social graphics, and just stay informed on the news that you care about by following the Problematic Women Instagram account. So go ahead, pull out your phone, search for problematic Woman on Instagram and look for that bright pink logo. Well, the State of the Union address may not be quite as exciting as the Super Bowl, but it's probably the most watched political event of the year. And Tuesday night was Biden's second State of the Union address. The purpose of these speeches is to update Congress and the American people on how the nation is doing. But what they really are in in many ways is an opportunity uh, for the president to highlight his successes and to gain support to show that he's a strong leader he's capable in his position as president so the
1: speech was uh, i don't know i don't think a lot of people were expecting the way that it turned out Mm. it was uh, a little more positive i think biden really avoided uh, landmines or Chinese balloons. (laughs) Uh, But um, he talked a lot about climate change. He talked a lot about insulin. Uh, He had uh, Tyree Nichols' parents there. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing he talked about was our commitment to Ukraine, but he never defined what success in Ukraine is. Uh, One of my favorite tweets of the night was, Democrats are wearing more (laughs) Ukrainian flags than American flags. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, I think you could walk away And say maybe it wasn't quite as divisive of a speech as you probably went in expecting. But I think at the end of the day, it was really shallow and it didn't show any depth. And I think that's indicative of this presidency.
0: Well, I think that's the only way he could give a speech that wasn't divisive Mm. is if he kept it pretty shallow. He kept it on his policy victories that are pretty minor, that you know are, are still important, but that maybe affect a pretty small group of Americans. Like the Inflation Reduction Act. <laughs> yes, can you, I hope you guys can hear the air quotes in that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, some parts of the speech just felt a little bit bizarre as he got into talking about things with like resorts and hotels, and it's like, mm. well, how did? Wait, what's going on? And he did the thing where he's like, "My daddy
1: used to tell me, Joey, <laughs> Joey," <laughs> and you're like. Uh, what is going on right
0: now? <laughs> but yeah, I, I guess all in all, I, I thought it was uh, just maybe not very memorable. Like I, I think as far as speeches go in the Chronicles of History, that one's probably not going to be talked about for decades to come. It's sad because if you look at the last two Democrats that were president, um,
2: they kind of the tone was set. By the midterms. And you definitely kind of saw the tone being set by these midterms, too. They were just, you know, uneventful, kind of left you wanting more. And I feel like that's exactly what Biden's speech was like. It was as disappointing, if not more. Um, But I will say he definitely took a few opportunities to make digs at the right. And um, I mean, he started with a tribute to January 6th again. And it's like, can we let it go? Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I, I think overall he focused on some really meaningless but really well-pulled topics. Mm-hmm. And, it uh, yeah, it's just not authentic, not
0: good for the American people.
2: And it just shows you how much his agenda is failing.
0: So there were several moments throughout the speech. I mean, ooh, we, could, we could take a long time to cover all of the moments that uh, were interesting or that stood out to us. But there's a few that I think are really important to discuss here. And... To fact check. So let's go ahead and roll some of Biden's comments on COVID. Fact check.
3: Look, COVID left its scars, like the spike in violent crime in 2020, the first year of the pandemic.
0: All right, let's fact check that. Did COVID equal violent crime? Was that the result? Yes, because that's how you know you get COVID.
1: You have a sore throat, you know, like maybe a little runny nose, and High then fever, and then you just want to break stuff. Yeah,
0: desire to burn down buildings. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone went man Yeah, yeah I mean th- this was really funny. That it's like okay, uh, how does one equate the other? Yes, they happened at the same time, um, but they happened because um, laws were not being enforced because of um, our a weak. Criminal justice system under President Joe Biden to not hold lawbreakers accountable. Uh, and a lot of Democratic led cities that allowed for violent riots to take place after the death of George Floyd.
1: Yeah, Virginia, you're exactly right. 27 out of the top 30 cities with the highest murder rate in the United States are Democrat run. Mm-hmm which I don't think that's a coincidence. And the left loves to talk about we have a red state murder problem. We have a red state murder problem. But if you look at most of those states, they don't have a murder problem. It's blue cities in red states where they get these rogue prosecutors, which are DAs, district attorneys, who have no regard for human life. They just want to implement their leftist progressive policies Mm -hmm. where it's anti-police, it's let's let violent criminals out on the street, and for some reason they're claiming that this is for, you know, diversity and equity and inclusion, where at the end of the day, it's hurting the black and brown people who primarily live in these cities who have, you know, five, ten times higher of a murder rate than folks who live out in the suburbs. So you add that, and then you add the George Floyd riots, Virginia, that you were talking about, where... Leftists thought, you know, you had to stay in your home, you had to wear a mask, you had a triple mask if you were going to get on the plane, you know, to, to see your family member, you you had to do these Zoom nights and and get your Fauci-ouchie, but if you wanted for some reason to go... Ride in the streets and st- and yell while standing, you know, shoulder to shoulder with one another. Then that was totally fine, and and you could go do that. Oh, they so were you,
0: they were mostly peaceful. Oh yeah, oh, fiery
1: but mostly peaceful. <laughs> so you what you did is you forced people in their house. Their only outlet was to go and literally riot, and then you add the fact that there was no consequences to these riots, mm-hmm. and of course you're going to get crime. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we're now what three years past COVID, kids are their educations are are still yeah. way behind yeah. where they're supposed to be. We, we still don't know what the vaccine is doing to children. And if people have even gotten their paychecks or gotten their jobs back that they've lost due mm. to not getting the vaccine due to valid health concerns. And now the fact that Biden... I mean, this is such a short little nugget in the speech, but the fact that Biden is touting this, it is so tone deaf, and
0: I'm a, little, I'm a little worked up about it. Yeah, I can tell. I can yeah. tell. Well, and of course... Biden had to talk about the economy; he couldn't avoid it. Um, but it was interesting how he chose to cherry pick information uh, related to economics. So we need to add some important context to Biden's comments.
3: Context, uh, alert.
0: context about he said he did not and will not raise taxes.
3: Under my plans, as long as I'm president, nobody earning less than four hundred thousand dollars will pay an additional penny in taxes. Nobody, not one penny. Well, let's finish the job. There's more to do.
0: So the truth is that Biden's policies have indirectly raised taxes on all of us, on all Americans. In 2021, the Biden administration and Congress spent with just reckless abandon. They racked up two point eight trillion dollars of new debt and their deficit-fueled spending contributed to an enormous indirect tax on all Americans In the form of inflation, that's 7.9 percent annual inflation. So even though Biden can stand up there and say, yeah, we're not we're not raising taxes. Well, we're all losing money hand over Mm -hmm. fist because of your policies.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's interesting, too, because it's just another way that they play with science. And in this case, it's with money science and. um. Inflation is a tax. People don't really see that because it's veiled in, you know, just slight price increases over time. But frankly, our annual living expenses are going up. It's harder to afford a home. It's harder to fill your gas tank. It's harder to put food on the table for your families. And that is a direct impact of the reckless spending and unchecked situation that we have at the Fed. I mean, at the end of the day, what Biden has done is empowered the Federal Reserve to print as much money as he wants, essentially, you know, maxing out our credit cards and our country's credit card and and just continuing to put it towards, you know, DEI and and Mm. Ukraine and other things (laughs) that don't necessarily help Americans. And if they have, I haven't seen it yet. But yeah, he's absolutely taxing everyone that, you know, is making minimum wage to over $400,000.
1: Yeah. I heard it put really in a really interesting way. Imagine your boss calls you into his or her office and says, hey, uh, I'm going to need you to work the same hours, the same job, everything the same, but I'm going to cut your your pay by, let's say, 20%. And you're like, oh, that's not a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But then then a couple of months later, they pull you in and they say, guess what? Now I'm only going to dock your pay by 10%. Mm. You're not going to thank them for still paying you less. You're still going to be upset. And that's the way that Biden's trying to to push this, of like, yeah. you're not hurting as bad as you did.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's
1: like, no, no, no. We, we Americans, even though you can manipulate the numbers all you want, you can say, but you go to the store and eggs are still $7 a dozen. <laughs> yep. you, you, know, you go to the store and you have a $50 bill and you can only buy four things. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know who he's trying to fool fill, fill here.
0: Yeah. Well, and it wasn't it wasn't just policy issues that uh, Biden had some gaffes on. It was honestly I sort of who this was how the speech started out. And it was just uh, a little bit cringy, as he called the Senate majority leader, the minority leader.
3: Congratulations to Chuck Schumer. Another, uh, you know, another term is Senate minority leader. Uh, you know, I think you. Uh, Only this time you have a slightly bigger majority, Mr. Leader. You're the majority leader.
0: (laughs) It just, uh, yeah, no one wants to see that, right? Like we we all want to see the president succeed. Whether you're a Democrat or Republican, you want to see the president emit strength. You want to see him be well-spoken. And the State of the Union address is that opportunity to show not only the American people but the world – I'm a strong leader, I am well-spoken, I am articulate, Uh, and America is strong because the president is strong. That was a rough way to start the speech.
2: Well, I think— Also, it just, again, demonstrates what we've been seeing the last two years. I mean, China literally just flew a balloon over our country (laughs) and we did absolutely nothing about it until it was on the East Coast. Like, I I didn't really expect anything less. Um, it, It frankly, yeah, I mean, he's not all there. There's a reason they won't release his medical records for for Americans to have a better understanding of what we're dealing with here. And it, I'm just—I'm not surprised. It's just sad at this mm-hmm, point.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think my favorite part of that clip is not—I mean, Biden's flub. We kind of all expected that. But it's Kamala sitting behind him <laughs> yeah. who's just like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this how this speech is starting. She's and trying then, to keep
0: it together. And yeah. then
1: it pans over to Schumer, and he's, like, trying to, like, mouth, like— yeah, <laughs> one. I have a I'm one majority one. <laughs> props
2: to McCarthy for not, you know, like laughing or yelling at yeah. him like mad respect because I absolutely would have changed at least my face. But, like, my face i would have made some
1: sort of thing. It's set. I'm like, so
0: hard just to keep it together the whole night on both yeah. sides like just to like not have crazy reactions <laughs> um uh,
1: i think we should go full in house of Commons and just be yelling <laughs> i'm in for like he should have been like crazy man right i know? mean
2: if pelosi can rip up the you know address <laughs> itself <laughs> yeah. like why
0: can't mccarthy i don't know <laughs> insult him in some way i I am always entertained when i watch the house of commons it feels like a movie anytime (laughs) like this is insane how how they do it in Great Britain. but well we do before before we stop talking about state of the union i do want to mention the fact that president biden brought up the issue of abortion per fox take a listen
3: congress must restore the right that was taken away in roe v wade and protect roe v wade
0: So this fact check won't take long. Uh, Mr. President, there was never a right to abortion in the Constitution. And what the justices ruled in their Dobbs v. Jackson decision was that, indeed, the Constitution does not provide a right to abortion. It does, however, guarantee a right to life, which many states across America have recognized, and they are taking steps and strategic action to protect life from the womb to the tomb Wow. That was a Tuesday night was wild. It was just wild. There was a lot to unpack. Um, Be sure if you want more coverage. Virginia, can we tell
1: everybody the truth?
0: That we were all up really late. Yeah, that we were all up till (laughs) like two in the morning and it's now
1: like 10 in the morning and like we're thriving. We're we're struggling. Um. I, I was walking into work and I almost felt like I was like. Out of my own head. Like, I was like watching myself walk into work. I, was like,
2: <laughs> I tried, I really tried to wake up and work out this morning, and I was like, lol, well,
0: no, no, that's no, not no, happening. No, no, but. no. Yeah, yeah. How, how, so too, as well, and that's that's the DC thing, call it so too. We have acronyms for everything. But State of the Union, so too, night went down. Here is all of us sitting around a table with a lot of pizza and Ooh, candy. So much pizza, oh, <laughs> and so much candy. Just writing and clipping, and it, it was. F- and garlic knots. We ordered 50 garlic knots. <laughs>
1: And I mean, there was like twenty five people, we were not
4: yeah, you know yeah, yeah. being it wasn't like us three aggressive it was just garlic, yeah, garlic yeah, nuts, yeah. but
0: that that's what did me in i was I ate too many garlic Oh, nuts. they're yeah. so good, though wild Well, so if if you want to know how to do so Too night, right, get some garlic knots yes. and some candy, <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, up next. We're going to continue uh, speaking a little bit about Biden's record and what he has done so far, his time in office. I recently had the opportunity to catch up with Florida Republican Representative Kat Kamick and ask her about the some of Biden's recent policy decisions. Representative Kamik, she does not mince words, which we hear on Problem like Women, we love that about her. And we just so appreciate the fact that she is straightforward, that she's direct, that she says it like it is. She's been a guest on the show before. And while we don't usually play interviews on this show, I really wanted us to take a few minutes to bring you all this interview exclusively for, for you all, for you ladies. Exclusive. It's, Exclusive. It, it's a short conversation, but we covered a lot of ground talking about, um, you know, Biden saying that he may declare a public health emergency on abortion to, you know, what grade she would give President Biden for his first two years in office. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get to my short conversation with Representative Kamick. It is my pleasure to welcome to the show Congresswoman Kat Kamek of Florida. Congresswoman, welcome back. Great to have you. Hey,
4: thanks so much. It's always great to be with you guys.
0: So let's start by talking about a pretty pressing issue, no pun intended, with the debt ceiling uh, pressing down on us. So... Lawmakers have until June to come to an agreement. Biden says he's not going to compromise on that. He doesn't want to debate over that. And Republicans, meanwhile, say, well, we need to rein in spending. We need to cut federal spending before we raise the debt ceiling. What is the path forward here?
4: Well, I think at one, it's pretty irresponsible for the president to say, no, we're not going to negotiate, especially when he has been a significant contributor to us getting to this point. You can't spend nearly $10 trillion in two years and then not accept responsibility for it. Not to mention that at this point, he's over a month late in delivering his budget. So he has to come to the table as an adult. He doesn't get to stomp his feet and cross cross his fingers or his arms and say, I'm not going to play anymore and take my ball and go home. It doesn't work like that. So he broke. He needs to come to the table and help fix it. And so Republicans, we're being the adults in the room. We have a couple of things that we need to do. First, we need to define success. What is a successful negotiation and a path forward? And then from there, you have the short-term aspects. What structural reforms do we have to lock in so that we never end up in this place again? How do we uh, put together a package that addresses the regulatory regime, which is really, truly a silent American dream killer. You've got 1.3 million regs on the books, $2 trillion is what it costs us annually. That's a huge element that we can take on. We need to put to bed the fears that Republicans are cutting Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid. We're not, but we have to make some structural reforms, particularly in the waste, fraud, and abuse that is embedded in those programs. That's an easy, target-rich environment for us to go after that actually preserves those programs. And then you got to look at the long-term. Right. How can we structurally format this deal so that we can start bringing down the debt, bringing down the deficit and doing it in a way that eventually we balance the budget? That is doable, but it's going to take some really tough discussions and it's going to take the adults being in the room, not the party politics that the the Biden administration loves to play with people's lives.
0: Are Republicans largely in agreement over the cuts that need to be made? Or are you all sitting down and having these discussions and saying, yes, we can all agree that X, Y, and Z needs to happen. And we need to rein in federal spending here, here, and here.
4: I think the number one thing that every Republican agrees on is that we have to rein in the spending. We've got to cut the spending. When we get down into specifics, then everyone starts to deviate. You know, but that's the, that's the great thing about what we're doing. We're having these really, really engaging, long conversations about what needs to go. What constitutionally do we have to do? And then what are some of the things that are pet projects that have been snuck in and continue to be funded without being reauthorized for decades? These are things that are, you know, ways that we can address this, but it's going to take a lot of communication. And again, going back to my first point, we have to define success. What does a successful negotiation look like? Because the American people will not know what that is unless we agree first and foremost what a win is.
0: Is there a certain number that you would say, okay, we would be willing to raise the debt ceiling to this if Democrats agree, yes, we will cut spending here, here, and here?
4: I think it's way too early to even put a pinpoint on a number or a specific program. I think we have some general framework issues that we've got to work out. But the more important issue here is not the number. It is the process and procedural changes that need to be made so that we don't continue to come back into this position ever again. So that, I think, is where the wins and and the specifics should be focused on.
0: Let's talk a little bit about an issue that I know is of great interest to our audience, and that's the issue of life. Now, we recently saw that the Biden administration, that they announced that they're considering a public health emergency around abortion.
4: What is your response to this? The stupidity never ends with this administration. I'm sorry, that, that, that is um, uh, just absolutely ridiculous. Of all the things going on today, The fact that you're paying upwards of $12 for a dozen of eggs, where uh, you have folks on fixed incomes that are trying to figure out, do they pay rent or do they put gas in their car? And they have really enforced this unconstitutional mandate across the board on healthcare workers, on federal employees, on our military. And now they want to declare another national emergency around abortion, around the issue of taking someone's life. It really speaks to the priorities of this administration and how truly disconnected from reality and the American people and their priorities that they truly are. Uh, for me, this is pretty simple. I am pro-life, and I think that we as a as a nation, we need to take a stand. Uh, earlier in the year, the one of the first bills that was brought to the floor I'm really proud of. Myself and Wagner and Steve Scalise, we worked together to advance the uh, Abortion Survivor Protection Act, which simply said that if a child survived an abortion and was outside the womb, that medical professionals had to deliver life-saving care. Democrats voted that down. They voted against that. And, and I, I repeatedly said this is not about a pro-life, pro-choice. This is about a child that is outside the womb, that is breathing, that is struggling for life, and you want to deny it, basic care. That says a lot about us as a people, as a nation, and who we are as a society. I don't like where we're heading. We have a complete disregard for life, and it's got to change. So as a result, my team and I were working as the co-chairs of the Pro-Life Caucus announcing the Sanctity of Life Project, which is a compilation of legislative initiatives that not only protect life in the womb, but beyond. We're talking about supporting families, encouraging adoption and fostering, combating human trafficking, protecting the special needs community, really going above and beyond on to make the case that life is valuable, it's worth protecting and saving, and that it is who we are as Americans.
0: Amen. I love that. Uh, last question before we let you go. The president says that he's going to officially end the state of emergency around COVID-19 in May. How can you... Schedule an end to an emergency.
4: (laughs) Well, that's the funny part. You know, uh, Republicans announced that we were going to be voting uh, officially, ending legislatively the emergency declaration. And that was on a Thursday. Well, then the White House gets wind of it and they say, no, 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 we want to end it. And we're going to do it, but not until May. It's a little bit curious that they just have a lot of money about half a trillion dollars that has been obligated that they have yet to get out the door. It almost seems like they want to make sure that that money gets out to the blue states before we end the declaration, because once the declaration is made and and passed, they can no longer continue to spend billions and trillions of dollars. So I think that it's really more about the money and, and following that money trail than it is anything else. If you had to give Biden a grade for his first two years in office, which grade would you give him? An absolute F minus. Is there anything lower than an F? (laughs) (laughs) Congresswoman, thank you for your time. We appreciate it. Well, we hope that you enjoyed that
0: conversation. Check out our um, IG account, the Problematic Woman Instagram account, to vote on which grade you would give President Biden. But stay tuned, because up next, we are crowning our Problematic Woman of the Week. Five days a week, two episode formats, one mission, to deliver the news you care about and analysis on the biggest issues facing America. The Daily Signal podcast brings you two episodes every day in the same podcast feed. Each morning, catch interviews with policymakers, leading experts, and conservative activists as we discuss some of the greatest challenges facing our country and offer solutions for a brighter future. And every weekday at 5 p.m., we bring you the top news of the day. These are the headlines you care about. Subscribe to the Daily Signal podcast wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss out on our morning interviews or evening news. Now
1: it is that time once again, my favorite time of the week, time to crown our problematic woman of the week. And the crown goes to Riley Gaines. Riley is a swimmer from Kentucky who competed against male swimmer Leah Thomas. Gaines tied with Leah Thomas at the NCAA championship last year. Even though they tied, Riley said she was told the trophy would be given to Thomas for photo purposes. Whoa. Whoa. Riley said she felt totally shocked and betrayed that the trophy would go to Thomas over her as he is a biological male. Riley has become one of the loudest and strongest voices speaking out on the
0: need to protect women's sports. And her story got a lot more attention this week because she attended the State of the Union address. Michigan Republican Representative Lisa McClain invited Riley as her guest on Tuesday night. And when asked why she invited Riley as her guest, McClain told Fox News, Riley Gaines is a courageous and inspirational woman who dared to speak out against the tyranny of wokeism. Isn't that the truth? Mm. So I had the privilege of talking with Riley Gaines on the phone about two hours before the State of the Union address, and I asked her what she hoped was going to come out of the fact that she was present, that she was there at the State of the Union, and this is what she told me.
1: So I think my presence here gives a face for Joe Biden to look at and tell me you know, in my eyes, with me being in the room,
2: that I don't matter. Because at this point, that's essentially what he's saying, is that biological women, our feelings, um, our existence, it
1: doesn't matter. We simply exist to validate the feelings and the identity of a man.
0: I just love how straightforward she is. And it's awesome to see her standing up for women's sports and one thing that we have talked about and what Riley is referring to there um, is Biden's proposed changes to Title IX that he wants to change the definition of sex in Title IX which was created to essentially protect opportunities for women um, to to change the definition of sex to include um, gender identity and sexual orientation which would mean that Yes, men can compete in women's sports. Men can go into women's locker rooms. Men can go into women's bathrooms. All they have to say is, um, I think I'm a woman. And they're just given a green light to enter all of these spaces that are reserved for women and should be protected specifically for women under Title IX.
1: I mean, NCAA championship, problematic woman of the week. I
0: think- <laughs> <laughs> she came out a winner. Yeah. <laughs> Well, a huge congratulations to Riley Gaines for speaking out and truly thank you, Riley. If if you're listening, thank you for being courageous and for speaking out and for being a voice. Um, we owe a lot to you. And as she says, you know, she's not just speaking out for herself, but for future generations of women, which is so, so critical.
1: Well, that was a packed episode. Yeah, it really was. Whew tired now yeah i'm ready do you think they uh if i go like sit under my desk and just take a quick nap anybody would notice no no, no. <laughs> yeah. just hang a blanket over yeah. your door <laughs> so with that that's going to be it for this week's edition of problematic women
0: join us next thursday for a brand new edition and in the meantime take a minute to subscribe and share the show with your friends
1: conservatives need your support in the podcast world and we would greatly appreciate a five-star review on spotify Castbox, apple Podcasts, or wherever you do get your podcast it does make a difference
0: have a great rest of your week. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy the Super Bowl. Whoop, whoop. And we'll see you right back here next Thursday.
1: Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation.
0: It is a product of the Daily Signal produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. And be sure to follow Problematic Women on Instagram.
1: We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.